This is Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho, featuring inspirational and fascinating personal stories of people from all corners of the globe who are now in St. Louis. We'll take a look at the U.S. through newcomers' eyes, get some insight into world history and cultures, and maybe learn something about ourselves. Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. Welcome to Stories of New Americans. Tonight, I've got a guest from India who is actually a member of my family, <laughs> uh, Pavan Kampaya. Welcome. Thank you. He, Pavan is married to my cousin's daughter for how long? Four years? April will be five years. Five years. Okay. So we're going to get into all your personal story, but I, I always like to kind of set the scene before we get started about the country and kind of just some facts and figures about the country. So India, as we all know, it's the second largest country by population in the world. It's, what is the, do you know what the current population is? It's 1.4, close to 1.4 billion, billion. And we're pretty fast catching up with China. So wow. it's just a matter of time uh, before India becomes the most populous country in the world. Yeah, I've heard that China's population is declining. That is correct. That's interesting. Because of their policy yeah. since the 1970s. Of well, I think they reversed that one-child policy, didn't they? But yeah, maybe probably. it's the damage is done, I guess. The damage has been done, yeah. Okay. And then, um, you know, it's a pretty diverse country. I've, what Can you talk about some of the religions and languages that you'd find there? Yeah, India is very diverse in the sense that there are at least 22 or so official languages spoken in the country, but there are really more than 120 languages spoken by different groups of people. And these are not just dialects. A lot of people ask me when I when I first came to this country, were they just dialects like the Southern accent versus Northern? No, these are completely different languages. For example, going from one state in India to another state would be like going from Germany into Greece, where German and Greek are not nothing alike. Mm -hmm. That's how the languages are very different. And religion-wise, Hindu Hinduism, perhaps not perhaps, is the largest religion. But there are other Buddhism, Jainism, Christianity, Islam, and there are many in between. Sikhism, yeah, which is in the prominent in the state of Punjab, okay. the Northwest Territory. Is English one of the official languages? No, it's not. It's not. But most many people speak English, I guess, right? It is taught in all the schools because okay. of British influence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you, you said that the languages are different from state to state, and I assume the cultures are somewhat different, too. Yes, absolutely. Has, is there any, uh, do some of these regions or provinces think about becoming independent? Because, like, you see this in Canada and Belgium and other countries that are sort of multicultural. Is there any anything about that? I have not seen that as a phenomenon. I mean, there are disagreements between states, but I have not seen in my uh, time there, uh, 22 years of my life that I lived there, none of the states really wanted to secede from hmm. the nation of India, if that's what you're... No, I, 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 I was, and I just... It's yeah. in, okay. All right. Now, Hinduism is the main religion. That is correct. And I believe you grew up in this religion. In a Hindu culture, yes. Can you tell us basically what the precepts are or what what the main 
parts or the main ideas of Hinduism? Hinduism basically is a pantheistic religion, means there are many, many gods, you know, thousands, I would say tens of thousands that people worship. But they all believe in um, the circle of life. There's, there's life, there's death, and then there's reincarnation. So a lot of good deeds or, or the fear that people live with is the fear that they might be reincarnated as some something substandard like a, like a mouse or, or a rat or you know or a cat, and and the the better their deeds here on earth they believe the better their reincarnation will be. That's about as much as my understanding is. Okay. Yeah, about reincarnation, and then you know, like I said, multiple gods, mm-hmm. and then they worship uh, created things sometimes like animals and and uh, you know created beings like cows yeah and talk about why the cow is such a revered animal in that culture i believe in the hindu um, tradition krishna one of the gods uh, was very closely affiliated with cows and there might be other reasons why cows throughout hindu faith uh, and religion has have been considered sacred i have seen cows adorned, decorated, and sometimes even worshipped. And uh, so to bring harm to a cow would be considered a, almost a criminal act. And, and there, there, have been, uh, there have been calls in the, in the politics, in the, in the government, to pass a legislation where harming a cow or, or killing a cow would be considered a criminal offense. I don't think that ever passed. Mm. But that's how much... Indian people revere cows. What about non-Hindus, like Muslims or, or Christians? Are they able to eat beef? Or yes, they are. At, the, at least when I was growing up, that was considered perfectly normal. Those were the people groups that were uh, the Indian, the majority of Indian population were trying to curb the rest of that, the population that were eating beef. Uh, to get them to stop. That's mm-hmm. why they were considering passing those laws, mm-hmm. which, you know, I don't think, because the majority, which is the Hindu population, felt that it is very offensive to them that the Christians and Muslims felt no compunction about eating beef. Yeah. Would would Hindu people uh, use milk and dairy products from a cow? Yes. And, do they, and they keep cows? Like on, okay. Yes. Yeah, they consider that a gift from mm-hmm. the cows. You know, the milk and dairy are consumed abundantly at least mm-hmm. in my childhood growing up we were mm. very uh, uh well we we used dairy very yogurt uh, yep, butter cheese yep. okay yeah and then can you talk about the caste system the caste system that i understand it as these were not sure when they were established but um there were four major castes uh, the Brahmins being the top of the the, the ladder, um, they were considered the priests or the the ones that were educated. They were the ones that knew all the Hindu um, scripture. Scripture, yeah, in Sanskrit, they spoke. They were able to speak and teach in Sanskrit, which is one of the most ancient uh, languages. And then were the uh, Kshatriyas, who were the warriors, uh, mm-hmm. soldiers. And then there were the Vaishyas, who were considered um, peasants, you might say. And then there were, I think there were two more underneath. One was the uh, Shudras, um, and then the Dalits, or, or the, uh, the subs, you know, those were considered the untouchables. You yeah. Know, you, you, you didn't want to associate with them because they were considered unclean. They were mm-hmm. not fit to be in the society, which 
this was all man-made. Obviously, God never treated any human beings mm-hmm. to be um, substandard or untouchable. But was this based on the type of work they did? That's what tradition. Perhaps. Okay. I, my understanding also is that based on what family they were okay. born into. Okay. You know, all Hindu faith believes that if you're born into a Hindu family or a Christian family, you automatically belong to that faith, which which is not the truth. But that's how the Dalits and, and the and the different castes were segregated mm-hmm. based on what family they were born into. Just like the uh, in the in the Western kingdoms and civilizations, you would have thought of royalty. Yeah. You know, if you were born into a royal family or if you were born into nobility. You were better than others, you know. Yeah. You had to be born into that is, is how they think of it. Okay. Yeah. And then I, I heard about what I think they're calling it the reservation system. That is correct. Which is a sort of basically a form of affirmative action, right, that for is, the that's quote unquote untouchables? That is how I understand it. When the Indian Constitution was being written, one of the guys that were involved in it was from the Dalit caste. So he had a, had a good idea, and this was with great intention that it was done, that people that were considered lowliest of the lowly needed to be given some incent- some um, preference, you know, and they were given better uh, education, uh, educational preferences, maybe scholarships, and even they would be given first priority in promotions within within a job. So schedule, scheduled caste and tribe system was introduced during the Constitution that was written in the 1947 or 1948 time period. And I think over time that system has been misused. For example, currently if you go to any um, corporation or government office, some of the people sitting at the top of the the you know, the latter are scheduled caste and uh, scheduled tribe people that were given special treatment to get there, but qualifications were overlooked. As a result, government jobs are not getting done properly, and, mm. and there's highest levels of corruption because qualification and merit was not what was looked at mm. for people to be promoted. Is, that, so there's been some backlash too? Oh, there has been a lot of backlash okay. throughout the last six decades, mm. I'm sure, yeah. And you said that was written into the, the Indian constitution. constitution after independence, but before that, Britain was in control for several centuries, right? Correct. And I'm sure there are, the English language is one example of the after effects of that. Are there, would you say that that was an advantage or were there advantages or disadvantages to all those centuries of British rule? Was it? Absolutely. I. My parents and I, of course, we you know we would have had no reason to talk in f- uh, favorably about the British, but we all recognized, at least the educated population of India recognized, there were tremendous advantages of British ruling India. For example, the infrastructure they established. India had zero infrastructure for a modern civilization. You know, they, mm-hmm. they rode horses or horse-drawn carts or uh, you know cow, uh, you know cat, ox-drawn carts and mm-hmm. things like that. British established the rail system, the highway system, and a lot of better infrastructure. But even more so than that, I think that the Oxford education system that they brought in, a very high quality English education that they established in India. And I think I'm a living testimony of that. The reason it was not too difficult for me to come to the United States is because I was educated in English throughout Mm -hmm. my childhood. I might not have had the best vocabulary or best grammar, but 
I knew the basics of English as a language. As a result, in uh, out of my college, uh, when I was taking examinations to uh, you know come into this country, it was a lot easier for me. You know, the, the basics were already established. What, were all schools conducted in English when you were growing up, or were there some? No, there were. Uh, we called them the English medium school or the uh, native language medium mm. schools. I was my sister and I were educated in an English medium school. So did families have a choice, or was it? Yeah. mandated where you would go. Nothing was mandated. It, families had a choice. I think people in much poverty did not consider English medium schools as affordable, so they sent their kids to just their their native language. Mm. And I, I would assume the kids that were educated in those schools had much more difficulty comprehending English as a language later on in their in their lives. Would they have been taught English as a subject then? I doubt it. Oh. If 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 they were taught, it would have been given very little uh, significance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are were there other advantages or disadvantages to British rule? Yeah, those were the two advantages that I could I could think of. The uh, first was the infrastructure, and the second was the education system. In fact, my sister was educated in a Catholic school that was established by the British a long time ago, and it was she got one of the best quality educations, and that's a mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. The disadvantages, obviously, the British rule was very oppressive. They they committed some atrocities. One of those examples, if you ever watch the movie Gandhi, mm-hmm. um, you know, played by um, Ben Kingsley, uh, they show this episode. There was an incident called the Jallianwala Bagh incident, where it was a massacre. It, there were a group of Indians that gathered to protest peacefully, unarmed women and children and men in a uh, park called the Jallianwala, Bog means a park. There were thousands, and the British, whoever the ruler was at that time in charge of the uh, northern India, ordered all those people surrounded and shot, point blank. And what year was this? This was in the early 1900s, I would think. Mm. Yeah, and it was a very uh, sad incident, but there were many like that probably didn't get the, the notability or the press. Mm-hmm. So they, they ruled with an iron fist. And the second disadvantage, is a disadvantage I think of, is they just looted India. They took whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, precious treasures. They even sourced their uh, World War II uh, by Indian soldiers and Indian um, raw material. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they took a lot from mm-hmm. India. So that's, that's about I can think of. Okay. All right. Why don't we take a short break here, and then we'll we'll come back and talk more about India and about we're we'll getting into your personal story in a minute too. Sure. Um, you're listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL 101.9, 94.1. Stories of New Americans brought to you by Byrich and Ramich Law Office and Attorney Nedim Ramich. Visit them at brlegal.net. You're listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. All right, welcome back. We're talking with Pavan Kampaya about, we've been talking about India as a little bit of the history before we get into his personal story. Um, you mentioned Gandhi. How how important was and is Gandhi in, in Indian history? Is he still seen as a... a revered figure as, or as a founding father of India? I believe throughout India, the majority of the population reveres Mahatma Gandhi, <laughs> at least in the education system. He's taught as one of the 
most um, iconic figures, probably the uh, centerpiece of the the independence of India. He, he played a, the most prominent role, mm-hmm. according to most most. But I think the general population is indifferent. Hmm. I mean, they don't see any impact on their lives because of Gandhi. But there is also a lot of negative uh, feelings about Gandhi because of what he tried to do after the independence or perhaps during the independence, which was he tried to unite the Muslim and the Hindu population, which did not go well. In fact, that's what led to his assassination. People were very displeased with that. That he was trying to unite the two. You're talking about India and Pakistan, or that is correct. okay? Yeah. And the British basically divided India into India and Pakistan in 1947, yeah. right? India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. Bangladesh yeah. later, yeah. Bangladesh can be considered East Pakistan, pretty much. It's, yeah. It's the Muslim population and the Hindu population that couldn't get along. They just found no common ground, and. The British, I, I believe, felt obligated to just say, okay, you guys can have your own country, since they were still in, in, in power. And Pakistan separated themselves and took the north northwest part of India, Bangladesh took an uh, eastern part of India. When there was a lot of movement of population, I guess, at that time, when not, not every Muslim lived in the south, and not every Hindu lived in, or not every Muslim lived in the north, and not every Hindu lived in the south. So they kind of selected them where they would move, I guess, right? And I, the, I would think so. There are still a lot of Islamic uh, population that lives in the south, where okay. I'm from. Yeah. But Gandhi wanted to keep India as one entity? That is correct. Okay. Gandhi's desire was to keep. The whole of Indian subcontinent, as it's called, as one united nation, mm. which um, did not happen. Would that, how would that have turned out if, it, that, if he had had his way, you think? I don't believe that would have turned out good. Okay. Because the people had made up their minds that they couldn't get along. So no matter how much one leader wanted there to be unity, it would probably not have worked. Mm. Okay. All right. You mentioned you were from the south of India. Let's, let's kind of shift and talk about you. You were born in the south. What what region or what city? In the south uh, from a state called Karnataka. It's a northwestern state. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was born in a small town called Hassan. That's where my grandfather was from and, and my grandmother. Mm-hmm. My dad was from a different village a little further from there, closer to the big city today um, called Bangalore City. That's, mm-hmm. what I, that's what I would say to people who, when, ask, when they ask me where I'm from, I'm from Bangalore City. And what was your first language then growing up? It was called Kannada, uh, spelled okay. with a K. Okay. Yeah. And how was your childhood? Was it fun? Do you have good memories? With... We have. My sister and I were the only two in, in my family, and we have very fond memories of our childhood. It was one of the safest times to grow up in India. Um, because also we were born and, and raised in a small town, we we enjoyed what, what a childhood should be like. Uh, the, mm-hmm. All our cousins and, and uh, my sister and I, we would all get together for every holiday. Uh, and we, the cousins and I, I, we all grew up like brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. In fact, we referred to each other as brothers and sisters. You know, mm-hmm. That's kind of part of the culture. There were times my sister and I could walk to school or from, um, back from school, which was only a mile away. That goes to show you how safe it it was back then. Is it like that now there, do you think? No. No? no it is not even close. Mm. Our, our uh, general mode of transportation to and back from school was a horse-drawn carriage. Mm. And we loved it. And mm-hmm. It was slow. And it took forever to get there and back. We loved it. You know, 
just like you would imagine in any Indian movie where people are hanging off of a bus or a train. That's how we hung off of that horse-drawn carriage, but we loved it. Wow. And we made it safe. <laughs> and then you said you went to an English language school. Correct. And it was, <laughs> thank, thankfully, it was affordable for my family. Yeah. In today's currency, it cost my my mom and dad a dollar a month for both my sister and I as as tuition, wow. which is you know. Also, back then, my dad's income was about eighty dollars a month. What kind of work did he do? My dad uh, was an engineer, mm. an electrical engineer. Mm. He worked at an iron and steel industry. Mm-hmm. He was in charge of uh, a big division of the mm-hmm. the steel factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were your teachers British or Indian? No, we we had no British teachers. So okay. They were all Indian. But the whole school was system, conducted in English, correct. British. Okay. The system was established by the British. When I say the education was in English, the, the common languages like math, science, and social studies, those were all in English language. Mm. But still, you know, did not that did not mean that our, our vocabulary or our English was really good. You know, we, we struggled with it. Yeah. Was it a pretty rigorous schedule? How many courses did you take, like in high school? How many courses would you take at a per term? Uh, yeah, we had. Uh, it was fairly rigorous, I would say. In high school, I had all the uh, basic courses, such as science, was divided into at least three: biology, physics, and chemistry, which which I had all those. And <laughs> social studies were divided into civics and geography and and several other. I can't remember. It's been mm-hmm. so long. And then there were languages. Hindi was one of the languages. Mm. I took Sanskrit as one of the languages. Mm. Kannada, which is one, my native language, and then English. So I studied four languages. Wow. I can't speak a lick of Sanskrit, but I can speak the other three pretty good. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then I, I'm always interested in, in the, the, I guess, the culture of schools, you know, be, having worked as a teacher myself. What what level of respect was expected of students toward teachers? And very how did you... High, very okay. high level of respect. You know, back then, perhaps even now, growing up in India, you know, spanking was perfectly normal. You know, mm-hmm. teachers had tremendous authority, and, and we revered them, not only because of physical punishment, but <laughs> just because of the authority they had. Yeah. And it, you can think of a Catholic nun, you know, that's kind of, okay. uh, you know, the, the authority they had. How did you address the teacher? What would you... Miss what? so-and-so oh, or okay. madam and sir. Okay. Yeah, that's how okay. you address them. Um, what did you do outside of school then? Were you, was, was soccer, cricket, what type of sports were popular there? Cricket was popular because it's one of the most popular sports in India. I remember playing soccer uh, growing up. We had a period, of, lunch period was mostly fun period for me. I, I would even forget to eat my lunch. My mom would get on my case about that. I was so busy playing <laughs> sports. Um, and soccer and cricket were the two that I can remember playing. Okay. As did you um, have any image or thought about the United States in those days? Did you ever think about coming here or did you, was it even in your mind? No. Yeah, the United States was the last thing that was on my mind or going to any other country was the last thing on my mind. In fact, as a child, my, my desire was to become a fighter pilot in the Indian Air Force. Really? My desire. Yeah. Wow. And then I, my, my parents let me pursue that desire. I, I went to a military school for seven years of my life. How did you get this, this career plan? <laughs> From movies? No, India. uh, Well, we had a distant relative or or a family friend that had been through that schooling, and he he would talk about it, uh, and I I became very fond of the idea. Mm. But still, 
there were uh, some military schools established very early on in Indian after the Indian independence, and each state had at least one or two of those, and it, they were very elite schools, at least academically. Wow. And they were funded by the government, so... And to get into those, any elite school to get into those, like Yale or Stanford, it's very hard because yeah. there are not a lot of people applying for them. And my parents helped me study very diligently, and, and I took the exam, entrance examination, and I got through. So mm. parents made the difficult choice. I, I, I am very thankful that they made the difficult choice of letting me go. I was only 10 years old. When oh, I, that young? Yeah. So I went away 12 hours away from mom and dad. That was very difficult for me and for them. Oh. Yeah. Because most of half of my childhood, I didn't live with them. That was very hard. Although, in, if you think about it, in the British system, boarding schools was very common. Yeah. The British sent their kids to boarding schools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was your image, if, if anything, of the United States when you were a teenager? Did you Was it something you even thought about, or did you see an image from movies or TV shows? Yeah, the only images, uh, uh, the only perception of America I would have at that time in my life was only through the movies yeah. and CNN. Oh. You know? By the time I got into college when it was when I started uh, following a lot more of uh, English news, that is, uh, things like CNN and, and BBC from Br- British, mm. and then uh, Australian news, and also a lot of um, American shows and movies. Uh, that's when I started following those in my, in my college. But as we all know, India has its own film industry, which is commonly called Bollywood. And I think that is, I don't know if it's, if not, maybe America is the biggest producer of films, but Bollywood or India is number two. If not, maybe it's even number one. Do you know? That's correct. I think Bollywood is at least number two in okay. the world. Perhaps the viewership of Bollywood is probably larger than the viewership of Hollywood movies. I say that because all of the continent of Africa watches only Bollywood movies. Mm. Well, now, Nigeria has an industry, too. They call Nollywood. Yeah. That's sort of coming up, too. But I know, yeah, most most of the world. Yeah. is familiar is, with uh, at least all of Asia. Yeah. Middle East, you know, yeah. part of Asia, is influenced by Bollywood. Yeah. Uh, would you say for young people... When you were the teenager, were, were Bollywood films or are Hollywood films more popular? That was a personal choice. I tended to um, lean toward the Hollywood uh, films a lot. My sister and the rest of the family tended to lean toward the Bollywood films. Mm-hmm. Bollywood films back then used to be more family-oriented, yeah. um, good ethics and, and good morals. That has changed. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's there's a lot of unnecessary things even in Bollywood movies from what oh. I hear I do not follow them anymore okay yeah. I just thought it was interesting that every every movie had a musical numbers whether it was a gangster movie or a love story yeah. they would break out in song <laughs> that is correct you, you can be almost pretty sure from any Bollywood movie for it to be a musical yeah you know, that's just the way Bollywood movies are made fascinating yeah. okay now you eventually obviously came to the United States how, how and when and why did that come about? When I was in college, well, by the time I got to college, I had my heart broken because I could not get into Indian Air Force oh. or Indian military for a very trivial reason, uh, which is that I, I have flat feet. So I was medically really? disqualified. Really? So I got through all of the difficult selection procedure. I had been through seven years of schooling, and I was rejected just because I have flat feet. And oh. there was hardly anything I could do about it. There were surgeries suggested, but that was not worth it. So my heart was broken at the age of 17. My parents were 
breathing a sigh of relief going to the military. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> you know? But that's when I think my mind at least started thinking about uh, going abroad for further studies, and, and America was the top of my list. That's how I ended up starting to think about the United States. What did you want to study then? That's a long story. You know, I, I don't think I had a choice of my own since my military <laughs> desires were, were uh, put to the side. But somehow I ended up studying electronics and electrical engineering, which is um, wireless communication and, and things of that nature. And it turned out to be one of the gra greatest career or, or greatest um, courses that I could take. And it was very high in demand at the time that I was studying. And that's what I wanted to pursue much further here in the United States. Could you have studied that in India? I did. My, okay. I did my undergraduate for oh, you, four years okay. in India. And then you came here? For my master's. Okay. Yeah. Why America? Just were there reasons? Probably because it is the greatest country in the world. Okay. And everybody wants to come here. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And where did you, you didn't come directly to St. Louis, right? No, I came to Mississippi. Okay. What was State University. Okay. Yeah. And then <laughs> you, how old were you then? I was 22. Okay, and you spoke English fluently, I'm sure, at the time. Not fluently. No? I spoke English, but enough to communicate. I was okay. fluent. My vocabulary was not good. My grammar was okay. Uh -huh. Accent was definitely a very thick Indian accent really? at that time. Yeah. Okay. Did you make a... Like, how did you lose your accent? Because you really don't have one now. How did you... I would say over time. Okay, just... Did yeah. you consciously make an effort, or it just sort of happened naturally? I think I consciously made an effort, and I also, by nature, I, I have a tendency to pick up accents very quickly. To just to give an example, when I worked in my uh, in one of my uh, jobs in Chicago, I worked with a lot of people from London, and the more t time I spent with them, the more I was picking up their accents. So I had to stay away from them. <laughs> well, that begs the question. You you said you went to Mississippi. Did you come up with a Southern accent when you lived That's there? That's one thing that didn't happen. A lot of people ask okay. me that question. Perhaps because at that time I was still trying to get over my Indian accent, I did not pick up the Southern accent there. Okay. Well, and, and uh, you know, by the time I learned the proper pronunciations of English, I had already moved out of Mississippi. Okay. How long were you in Mississippi? Two and a half years. Well, were you living in a dorm or off in campus a, or an apartment off? Okay. Campus. Yeah. Did you know anybody there? Um, only through friends of friends that I uh, had com uh, communicated th with from India, and I had gotten in touch with oh, Okay. Yeah. So did you live with some of these friends of friends at first? Yes. I lived with uh, four other roommates in there. Oh, <laughs> okay. I, we need to take another short break here, but I, I want to hear this story. This <laughs> okay. We'll be uh, we're listening to Stories of New Americans on 101.9, 94.1, News Talk STL. We'll be right back. Stories of New Americans, brought to you by Global Transport, for trucking, logistics, and warehousing. Visit them at globaltransport.us.com. This is Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. back to Stories of New Americans on 101.9, 94.1. I'm talking with Pavan Kampaya. He was just talking about arriving from India to Mississippi when he was a graduate student. 
Yeah. What, what's the name of the town that you were living in in Mississippi? Uh, Mississippi State University is located in a small town called Starkville in the northern part of Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. Now, what what was that like? What did what did you have? Was that your first time even coming to the United States? That was my first time leaving the borders of India. Okay. What <laughs> what how was how severe was your culture shock? What were some things that happened then that maybe are funny now or not? Yeah, it was a tremendous culture shock, but also something I expected. I, I wanted to experience the American life. Up until that that point in my life, I had only seen American life through the movies and yeah. the news, and I wanted to experience just a simple. Uh, just the simple things like the traffic and how well Americans follow the the traffic. Really? And and how fast people... <laughs> I know this sounds funny, but if you were to drive in India, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> every day, a, a person from the West, if they go to India and they drive there every day, you'll be uh, glad to be alive. That's how <laughs> it feels. Even really? though you know, there are not many uh, car wrecks. Yeah. Everybody is very close. Uh, to all the vehicles are very close to each other, and it's a miracle how they get get around. Yeah. So you know, I, I was able to enjoy how fast tra- traffic moves in in the United States, and how it was a small town though you lived in. That is correct. So it was not there was no rush hour traffic yeah. to speak of. Yeah, and then you know, very early on when I came to this country, I became a Christian within the first few days. So that changed my life and my perspective of America drastically. What I thought of America was not really what I experienced of America after that. How did that come about? Well, to me it seems random, but obviously it was not random. Um, We, as soon as I landed here, there were several students on campus that would invite international students um, to a banquet. And then one of my friends, who became a friend later on, one of the guys at that banquet came and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with me and he just left it there and he, he he wanted to he asked if I wanted to become a Christian and at that point I didn't have a definite answer and one of the things I loved about the United States after I came coming here is that Americans live an independent life they think for themselves they're not told what to think for the most part and for example faith and growing up in India Hindu faith was you know, c- kind of instilled in me. It, there was no freedom given for me to think whether it was right or not, and, and so on. Did it you were, did you practice your faith? Maybe or, as a child. Okay, but for most part of my life, I did not. Okay. It, the, for, from the time that I was able to think, especially after I went to that boarding school, I none of the Hindu things that were taught to me made sense. So I. I Pretty much became an atheist, mm. and that's what I considered myself most of my life before I came this, uh, to this country. Okay. Yeah. So then, you, you after a few days, you were presented with the gospel, and then I you, I responded positively. You know that more than the gospel that they shared, the love they showed me was very unnatural. <laughs> Just from my perspective, I was thinking, why a group of white people in the middle of nowhere in the United States? Are loving me like I'm part of their family, mm-hmm. which was very strange to me. You know, mm-hmm. They had not known me um, throughout their lives, but they showed me a love that that was very unique. And then they, and it was not a one time. This this friend I spoke of, Greg Willis, he would come pick me up for church every Sunday, and he made made that a commitment. And if he couldn't, his girlfriend would come pick me up, or one of his friends would pick me up. Later on, one of my 
Sunday school teachers at that church said, why do you have to depend on all these students? I'll give you my car. He just gave it to me for free. What? And he didn't know me, you know, from anyone, anywhere. So this is the kind of love I was, I was shown. And these were genuine people. They, they would weep with me. They would rejoice with me. And, yeah. you know, that's, that was the kind of love they showed me. And that, that transformed my, my perspective of what true Christian faith is. Mm. The kind of love they showed me was genuine, very genuine. Okay, and then so you took a step and became a Christian. Yep. And then how did that sit with your parents? It was very difficult for them. I I kept it a secret for almost three years of my life after I became a Christian. But no child can fool their parents. I'm I'm pretty sure my mom already had a a sense that I had become someone different. Mm -hmm. My dad uh, at least was living in denial, thinking that, that I was not what he what mom was saying I had become it was very difficult for them to them it was an act of betrayal mm-hmm. um, and, and I can understand that they raised me a certain way for all my um, childhood and I had pretty much spit on all of that in their perspective yeah. which is not what I wanted to do yeah what I did from my perspective was what I expressed in America I was given the choice to think for myself was given all the facts and to make my own decision that's what God does through Jesus Christ, is that he gives us the truth. He never forces us to make that choice. And that truth is what really beckons us, um, and, and the love and the action, action that's behind that truth, which is Jesus Christ giving himself as a sacrifice on that cross. That action was, the, the words and the truth were backed up by his sacrifice, which, which is what won my heart. Was that, had you been exposed to Christianity in India? Was this all new concept for you? My only exposure to Christianity was negative. We, mm. uh, for a part of a uh, period of time, my parents lived in a big house uh, where my dad worked as a, uh, at the steel factory, and there was a church across the street from us, and <clears throat> they would proclaim things on a megaphone, which didn't sit well with us. It was more of a nuisance than anything else. So that's the only perception of Christianity I had, hmm. that it was a nuisance. <laughs> hmm. So I really did not know anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ or anything that, that was positive. Yeah. So you, how long did it take from hearing the gospel to actually deciding to become Believing? a Christian? I, that is a difficult question. I. I would say it probably took a week or wow. several months. I do not know when exactly I crossed the line, but mm-hmm. I knew that I had become a Christian looking back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A good example, if you have time, I'll give, give you a good analogy. Yeah. One of my favorite Bible teachers always used this analogy. He said, my friend and I decided to uh, travel for a business trip from Memphis, Tennessee to Dallas, Texas. And he said, I could not catch the flight. I had to drive. And when I drove from Memphis to Dallas, he said, I knew exactly when I crossed the border from Tennessee to Arkansas to, da- uh, to Texas. My friend who flew had no idea mm. when we crossed those border- borders, but we both knew when we were in Dallas that we were in Dallas. Yeah, and, you know, that's good. Some p- people, when they convert to Christianity, know exactly when they cross that line of faith. Mm-hmm. Some do not know, but both or all people will know. And the Bible says this, that the Holy Spirit of God confirms with our spirit that we are his children when we become his children. Yep. Yes. Amen. You told a funny story last Christmas about, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yep. You want to share that funny story? Sure. This is about the hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'll... I'll uh, Maybe it's, I mean, it's kind of funny to me, but... Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll try to make it as concise, but it... it 
it might become a little lengthier. I understand from, from the Bible, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, God says, God has given us everything we need to know about his existence, that he created everything. For example, the creation around us, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, and the nature around us, the trees, the birds. Everything is so complex, yet so in harmony. And that's one biggest evidence God has given us. And he says, mankind is without excuse. They cannot say that there is no God or, or, or he's not personal. But the second most important thing that the Romans chapter 1 speaks of is the conscience he has put in the humankind. Animals don't have this conscience that we have. And every human being, right from birth, as they start learning, there's a conscience that tells them such and such is right and such and such is wrong. But what ends up happening to human conscience is that conscience can be seared. The Bible speaks of that, that their consciences were seared like with a hot iron, you know. That's what, back in the days, to cauterize a wound, they would take a hot iron and sear it to dull your pain, right? So conscience can be dulled or desensitized. Just to give you an example, some of the moral things that were considered um, total abomination in my mom and dad's generation or, or deplorable uh, things are today acceptable. In Hinduism? No, in, 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 in India as well as here in the United States. If, so... What has happened then is it's not that moral right and wrong have changed. It's that people's consciences have been seared over time. They've been desensitized to believe it's okay to accept certain things which are still very wrong. Not only can conscience be seared, it can also be molded. I'm getting to, the, to my point here. And that's what happens when a person is brought up in a certain culture or certain uh, surroundings. For example, a Jewish person uh, being brought up in an Orthodox faith has been, his conscience has been molded to believe it is not okay to eat non-kosher food. It is not okay to work on the day of Sabbath. You and I don't feel hurt or our consciences won't hurt us when we work on Sabbath. We don't even know what day, you know, we don't really observe Sabbath, right? In the same manner, my conscience was molded because of my upbringing to believe that eating any cow, pro uh, for example, I'm sorry, eating beef or you know, killing a cow was totally unconscionable. It was almost criminal. So that's how I was brought up. After I became a Christian, I understood the truth of what Jesus was saying. It is not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean or, or defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. In other words, it's... Filthiness comes out of your heart. It's, it's not what we eat that makes us unclean. Anything that is received with thanksgiving, Paul writes in, in the Bible, is, is good because it's, it's all a gift from God. When I understood that truth, it was hard for me to exercise that truth. Well, that same friend I mentioned to you about, Greg Willis, took me to, I believe, I believe McDonald's, to have a hamburger. That was my first time oh. tasting a hamburger. I can tell you when I took that first bite, I felt like I committed murder. Yeah. It was so difficult. My conscience was hurting. Because oh. all my life I had been taught yeah. that it is unconscionable. It was very wrong to eat beef. And it took several months or probably a year for me to get over that. Every time I took a bite of beef, it, it hurt my conscience. Because yeah. that's what my parents had taught me and, and the culture of India had taught me. Did it taste good to you that first time, or could you, you don't, couldn't even so. focus on it? No, it did not taste good. Oh. <laughs> Later on, I developed a taste for it. Yeah. yeah. Probably because my guilty conscience was hindering my yeah. experiencing the, the, the good taste. Yeah. You um, are married now. Yeah. 
and you're married to one of my relatives. And how, how did you meet each other and how did that come about? One of my, uh, um, one of our mutual friends set us up. I guess I should say you eventually moved to St. Louis after Mississippi, right? Uh, yes. Because you met several here. Several other cities. Yeah. Oh. To San Diego, lived there for a while. Indianapolis, Columbus, Ohio, Chicago, and then uh, finally ended up here from St. Louis. Okay. And then how did you meet Julie? Uh, through a, a mutual friend who um, had known Julie throughout ch- Julie's childhood, and then she knew me through many church camps that I attended. And uh, she thought that we might make a good fit, and it turned out to be right. Mm. Yeah. Julie had been in India as a missionary for a yeah. year. Yeah. That probably was another factor yeah. that uh, our friend thought we might make a good good fit. Yeah. She also went to Rwanda. That's correct. On a mission trip. Yeah. Okay, and then you 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 were married here and then your parents came from India for the wedding. Correct. Have have they come to terms with the fact that you're married to an American Christian and you're a Christian yourself now? Absolutely. I think over time I've been a Christian now for 20 almost 21 years. So within the first ten years, all their all their struggles had kind of been put to put aside. They had completely accepted me for who I am. And then by the time I met Julie, they they adored her. Mm. <laughs> the first time they met her, she they adored her. And uh, yeah, they they have no um, compunction about me okay. being married an American girl. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Do you um, go back to India frequently now? The last time was when Julie and I. Uh, got married in 2018. We went there for a reception in India. Mm, like a Bollywood movie. <laughs> like a Bollywood movie. Yeah, it was a it was a lovely reception. My mom and dad's side of the family all got to meet us. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was the last time we were there five years ago. What do you miss about India? Of course, your family, but what other things do you miss about it? Just to my childhood memories and the places we grew up and enjoyed as mm-hmm. as kids. That's the only thing I would miss about India, and my family. Yeah. I'm not the nostalgic kind. Even now when I go back to Chicago or any of the other cities I lived in, there's really no nostalgia that I have about the place. Oh, I am the opposite. Yeah, but the people of that place really do tug at my mm. that's, that's usually how I am. Mm. What is, what's the best and worst thing about living in America for you? Of course, uh, you know, the reason I came here is because it is the greatest nation in the world today, and it was, it has been for over a hundred years. And America is great in many ways. It is truly the land of opportunities. And uh, it it certainly has a lot to offer people. You know, the, the way of life, I like the American way of life. I do miss the, the distance. Uh, I mean, I, I do miss my family. The distance is difficult. Um, but the, the American prosperity and the individual way of life and the innovation all, all are a, uh, a great things. Uh, and uh, how you can prosper, if you work hard here, you can truly prosper. Mm-hmm. No one else will t- try to take credit for your work, which is good. What would you be doing if you would stayed in India, do you think? Probably something similar, same line of work, but uh, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much as I am here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, do you have any, we're getting ready to close down here, I guess, where our time is running out, unfortunately. I wish we could talk more, but do you have any just like final thought or message to the listeners? Yeah, I, uh, I, I read this years ago, and this is, these were some of the most powerful words I thought of America. 
written by a French philosopher who came to visit here in the early 1800s. His name was Alexis de Tocqueville. And this is as true today as it was in the 1800s. He had seen this fledgling nation who had just, with, with no military power whatsoever, was able to kick out the most mil powerful military force in the, in the world at that time, which is the British Empire. And he wondered, why is America so great? And he, these were his words. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich, rich mines and her vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning, it was not there. In her Democrat, uh, Democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Those were his words. In essence, what he's saying is the, the power that has driven America is the righteousness of God that, that has blessed this nation because the people of America were God-fearing people. That has pretty much gone away in today's day, unfortunately, but it's, it's not without hope. Mm -hmm. yeah, that would be my, my uh, thinking is that America can still remain great if Jesus Christ is at the center of the people's lives. Mm -hmm. Okay, sounds good. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Pavan. For I wish we had more time to talk more. There are a lot of things we could still say, but unfortunately, the clock is the ruler here. So, thanks again for coming and sharing your story with us. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, you've been listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL one hundred one point nine ninety four one. Thank you. Do you